Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST, Apple Podcasts, App Spotify. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we appreciate you the same. We come to you on a Tuesday, recording this Monday night. Mets are still uh, on, I believe, down 6-5 last I checked. We'll check in as we go. We got a baseball episode coming up. We do, because the Mets and Yankees, with all the, the hoopla... All the excitement, all the disappointment in the first, you know, 20, 25 games so far of the season. We're kind of even. Water may not be finding its level yet, but it seems like it'll get there. They're just not putting it together. We're here to discuss it all. The offense for both have been the negatives, which is not what we expected. And the pitching has been the strong suit. Can they put it together and when will they? And of course, we have our guy, designated hitter, Andrew Kalanya, to talk through it. What's up, dude? How's it going? Ready to uh, to break down the ire of New York uh, sports talk radio today. Uh, David Ortiz, he's on Cameo. And he know how much he's charging? No. He wants $750 to, for a Cameo. Are you crazy? Are you fucking crazy? There should be a limit. Unless you're like, I don't know what star, I'm trying to think, like, what star has the right to charge more than... 500 bucks and we're talking like unless you're saying like charity right if you say it's for charity it's a different ball game right but what star has the right to charge that much yeah no nobody that's 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 the answer for for cringeworthy uh hey uh derek it's your birthday it's david ortiz uh happy birthday man go red Sox. 750 dollars like, like somebody who's ultra rich, like I'm, stu- I'm, I'm stuck on this now. I'm sorry. Somebody who's like stupid rich, like Leonardo DiCaprio would never charge that much. I feel like if he decided to do it, he would be like, all right, I'm gonna do this for the environment, like for charity. Yeah. And it's as much as you want, you know, whatever. Like, how yeah. can you, how can you log into that thing and put your price at 750? That's ridiculous. The Kardashians, like they wouldn't charge that much. I don't think they would. Right. Maybe they do. No. I, yeah. Now I have to look it up at some point and see who charges the most on Cameo ever. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. He just started today. Just came on. This this is my price point, $750. i am David Ortiz. Hey, Big Poppy. Hey, if people are gonna pay, then it is what it is. He's maybe he's doing the the right thing. Also with us here today, Mike Bonfield. What's up, bro? You just made a trip out to Philly to see the Mets. Unfortunately, you didn't see the Mets win, but you saw an interesting game. How was the trip out there, bro? What's going on? Uh, just want to shout you guys out. Thanks again for having me on, uh, as always. Uh, trip to Philly was dope. Uh, had a great time, like you said. Unfortunately, Mets couldn't come up with a, a victory there. But I was right in the middle of all that Alvarado, Dom Smith beef. So uh, getting to experience that as the only Mets fans in the uh, in the section of Citizens Bank Park we were sitting at was quite the time. We made it out of the stadium. We're here. Happy to be able to tell the tale. And... Uh, <laughs> Looking forward to uh, getting back and hopefully catching the dub next time. That's right. Yeah, I mean, you, you did see some interesting action, especially with the the antics at the end. And then the Mets finally had some offensive, uh, you know, firepower later on in the series. And again tonight, uh, you saw what two one on Friday night. I did two one. Exciting man, high scoring. 
Yeah. <laughs> and that seems to be the MO of the Mets, partially the MO of the Yankees too, as in reality, and Andrew, check me if this statement is crazy. These two offenses have been two of like the worst, not the worst, but two of the worst offenses in the league right now. Yeah, but bottom five with uh, in runs uh, scoring per game down there with the uh, the Padres, the Tigers, and the Nationals. So you know, off and I think offense overall has just been down in baseball this year. I think as the league is hitting a collective like two thirty five or something like that, which is way down from you know the last couple of years. So it's uh, it's not just a Mets and the Yankees problem, unfortunately. Yeah. For real. And it, that makes sense that it's across the board. It's kind of stinky. I don't know if that is something that has to do with the new baseballs again. That topic's kind of been like not spoken about to my knowledge very much, even though there was a change. Is it something with the offseason and getting this thing ready and short and spring training? Who knows exactly what is causing that? But you got to think some of these guys, especially the likes of Lindor, Alonzo starting to do so himself, Conforto starting to do so himself. They're going to start figuring out. Same goes on the Yankee side. You know, you have moments where Judge and Giancarlo hitting bombs, but the consistency is not quite there. Judge probably has been the best hitter on the Yankees to this point. But again, we're going to get into the ins and outs of both New York squads. But first, we did have the NFL draft this weekend. So quickly, I do want to just discuss it. You know, obviously at this point, it's Tuesday. The first round was discussed in a lot of places on Friday and over the weekend. We had the rest of the rounds throughout the weekend. Um, so I just want to start here and Mike, I'll go to you first. You guys are both giants fans, correct? Mike, you're a giants fan. Yes, sir. So mm-hmm. both giants fans here. What was going through your head, Mike, when a, you saw Philly jump the giants from third or sorry, 12 to 10 with the Cowboys. It was so weird having the Cowboys giants, Eagles back to back to back. What was going through your head when you saw the Eagles jump the giants? And then what did you want happen to happen after that? And then again, when Gettleman did make the trade down, Walk me through the whole process for you as a fan. How did you take that in? Yeah, so it was crazy because um, you can quote me earlier on an earlier episode of this pod um, saying that I would have loved for the Giants to have drafted Micah Parsons, linebacker out of Penn State, who ultimately wound up going to the Dallas Cowboys after they had switched picks with the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, it was just NFC East drama in the draft. Um, So the Eagles trade up, take Devonta Smith, then the Giants trade back. So I'm thinking, all right, Gettleman wanted Smith and only Smith. And otherwise was just like, you know what? There's nobody up here that we feel like we need to get right now. They made an awesome trade, in my opinion. Love the trade, by the way. Um, first time Gettleman's traded back in the first round in his history as the GM of the team. Uh, love the move. They got a first round pick from Chicago next year. They got two additional picks in later rounds. I think it was a great move on their part. Um, but then of course, as we know, Cowboys draft Parsons after the Eagles take Smith, um, which is fine. You know, I wish success to those guys, um, on their teams. Um, the only mind boggling thing to me is you trade back because you don't have the receiver you want, or maybe it wasn't just Smith. Maybe it was Smith, Waddle or Chase. I mean, we didn't really, it wasn't realistic to think that Chase was going to be available at that point. Um, I didn't see him on any mock drafts getting taken that late. Um, But I did see Waddle or Smith uh, as realistic possibilities. And then once those guys were off the board, it was just like, all right, the guy we want isn't there. So they trade down. And what do they do? They draft a different wide receiver who, in my opinion, and I think a lot of mock experts' opinions, um, 
was not the next best available receiver in that draft. Um, I know being an Ole Miss fan, Elijah Moore, who is going to be a stud, got taken by the New York Jets early second round. Um, you know, I think that was another option. But I just, you know, and then you take a receiver. It's not one of these quote-unquote generational talent guys, those those big three that we've been talking about. Um, and you take them after you go out and sign Kenny Galladay in the offseason. So now before the draft, going into draft night, you have Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton. They signed John Ross in the offseason, which isn't a power move, but it's a sneaky move that could, if he plays his role the way he's supposed to, John Ross, you know, he, he could provide a little spark. Um, so they have all these receivers, and then they go out and, listen, I, I like Tony as a player. I think he's a playmaker. I think he's exciting when he gets the ball in his hands. He's quick. He's explosive. The one thing that is going to be iffy is he's, he's got to stay healthy. I mean, at his body frame, height and weight, mm. the, his style of play at Florida, he's running through guys, running through contact. That might not work when you have, you know, NFL linebackers or even some of these corners, like Jalen Ramsey, like Jalen Ramsey's going to hit you yeah. hard. Like you might not get up after that. So like, you know, he's got to, he might have to change his style of play a little bit, but if he's able to adapt to the NFL, I do think he's explosive. One other thing I will add that I do like is that he's not strictly a wide receiver. He's also a special teams player as a return man, which I think is something. Line up in the backfield a little bit. Line up in the backfield, do a little end around action, change up the playbook. If Danny Dimes got to get the ball out of his hand quickly because he's facing pressure since we didn't draft or do anything to our offensive line. It's the same offensive line as last year, which was not the best, as we all know. So if Danny's back there, you know, taking hits, facing pressure, has to get the ball out of his hands quickly, Tony could be a great option for some screens, some end-arounds like we talked about. Um, and like I said in the return game, you know, special teams sometimes goes um, unnoticed compared to some of the other positions on the field, but it's an important part of the game. And when you have that spark, whether it's it doesn't always have to be a touchdown on a return, but if you have a return to set your team up in opposing territory, your drive's already off to a great start. So I think it's it's a good pick, but I can't sit here and say it's a great pick because we're going to have to see what happens. Yeah, so a, a lot of things can be true here. Uh, like you said, a lot of stuff there, and some of it in theory contradicts itself, but you're not wrong, right? Because both things are true. I feel very similarly about Tony as a prospect. Guy can make plays. Yes, he's a joystick. Yes, he's got burners, all this stuff. He's a flawed wide receiver. He's not by any means a number one wide receiver. And yes, he is a guy who an offensive coordinator should look at and say, I need to get him four to five touches a game guaranteed. I have to spoon feed him touches because he's that electric when he has the ball in his hands. That being said, do you draft that guy at number 20 in the draft? No, like you don't. When you draft a wide receiver at number 20, you want a guy who can do it at all levels. I think about it like basketball. If you got a guy uh, who you're drafting as a cornerstone of your franchise, you want him to be able to score from the perimeter, create his own shot, and score on the inside. You need to have all three levels of scoring, right? Obviously, the mid-range in basketball, we're not going to go too far into that, but the point stands. You need to do it at all levels. In football, as a wide receiver, the same thing exists. You need to be able to go deep and have those burners over the top. You need to have the quick screen game, which Tony clearly has. And then you need the most important for number one receiver is that intermediate game where you're moving the chains and you're picking up first downs for your team on the regular. If you look at first downs for wide receivers every single year, the leaders in the league, it is 
across the board, the best guys. It's Michael Thomas. It's DeAndre Hopkins. In recent years past, you know, top six, top seven receivers in the league, guys like even DK Metcalf sneaking into there. It's not very frequent. You find some guy who's a, a meddling receiver or a gadget guy or a quick screen guy like Tony who's a home run hitter to be consistently putting their team in positions to succeed. Elijah Moore was also my guy. Guy's an absolute stud. So in 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 summation of what the Giants did there, it's a big-time win, right? That first-round pick next year is huge. Yeah, It just feels like that pick wasn't the right one. With that being said, you can be incredibly happy to have Kadarius Tony. It's almost like the Saquon Barkley situation where it's like, you could have been in the camp where the Giants should have taken a quarterback or a pass rusher or another O-lineman or who knows what. Maybe you didn't support the Saquon pick from the beginning, but once he's on your team, you love that guy. He's your guy, and you're going to pull for him. So it's a double-edged sword. There's a lot of positives, and there's a little bit of uh, stuff to not be so thrilled about either. Yeah, he's he seems like uh, the guy you would pick when you're, you're kind of more ready to win. He's like, I think the comp for him was like Percy Harvin yes. type of type player you know like it's a good that's a good wide receiver but that's not a top 20 pick in the draft wide receiver you know I feel like if you know the offensive line was addressed if uh, other areas of the team was addressed first and then you could go out get someone like him I would have felt better about it but you know like you said I think the trade is is really the big win here because I I don't perceive the Bears being very good at all so this might be a you know a top five pick going into uh 2022 so you know got to be happy about that yeah absolutely and basically my final words on Kadarius Tony in the episode I did last week because I touched on I think eight or nine receivers last week in solo podcast I did before the draft Tony this was it I said because my three categories were will contribute should contribute and might contribute I had him as should contribute I said three number three number four ability with game-breaking potential don't expect him to be a full-time starting wide receiver but the team will have to and really want to give him touches. So that's a guy who's useful. That's a guy who you want on your team. Maybe pick too soon. Who knows? The thing that is frustrating to shout out the Jets here is, in my opinion, and in Mike's opinion apparently as well, Elijah Moore is the better receiver. I had him as a lock to contribute. I said he will contribute no matter what. He has the game-breaking ability, but a much more rounded game as a wide receiver My guy is not afraid to use those hands over the middle, intermediate routes. He's got the whole bag. He's got everything, Elijah Moore. He may be a little smaller. He's a little bit more built than Tony. Maybe, like, I don't know. If you want to, like, cut, uh, what's it called? Um, Something with hairs. Split hairs. There we go. If you want to split hairs, like, yes, Tony's a little bit faster, but Moore is pretty much better in every other part of the game. Uh, So, tough one. For me, as a Giants fan who loved Elijah Moore to now see him go to the Jets, but the Jets got a great guy. They also got Zach Wilson, obviously. Elijah Vera Tucker. They went offense first four picks of the draft. They want to help Zach Wilson. They want to learn from the Sam Darnold mistakes. Seems like a good plan, no, Mike? Seems like a really good plan. I I mean, I think a, a lot of people, at least myself, were surprised when the Jets traded up to take Vera Tucker. Um I'm not surprised looking back on it now, but when it was first happening, it was kind of just like, what are they going to do here? You know what I mean? They, they had a few options. Um, and I think Jets fans were pleasantly surprised is the best way to put it, that they, they drafted an offensive lineman and right off the bat, still in the first round, 
they're showing that they want to support Wilson and get him the blocking he needs because Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims, um, what's the, who's the other receiver that they Corey Davis in the yeah. offseason. Um, these guys are are have playmaking ability, but it's tough to make plays when your quarterback has no time to throw the ball. So you got to get him protection. And I think the Jets did that early on and have bolstered their offensive line. So great move for them. Yeah, and it's just funny to think about their wide receiver depth chart and how Jamison Crowder was the leader in the clubhouse, right? Like, he was the guy, most targets, most touches, most yards probably. I actually don't know off the top of my head, but I assume. Uh, and now he's, like, maybe the fourth guy on the list, right? Like, if Mims is healthy and uh, Elijah Moore is the receiver who we think he, he could be, Jamison Crowder can all of a sudden be a three on this team. And when Jamison Crowder's your three, that's pretty damn good receiving core right there. It's a lot better than than when Jamison Crowder's your one, and that's no shade at Jamison Crowder because he's been really great for the Jets uh, when he's healthy. For sure. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think both – if you really look at these New York teams, I think their receiving cores have both improved um, significantly, and it's it's been noticed in the offseason. It's something that they both went out and wanted to improve, uh, and I think that they both did that, and they both stepped up, and I think – Obviously, you know, now that Darnold's gone, I would have said this was a prove-it year for him, but this is an absolute prove-it year for Daniel Jones for me, and I think for a lot of Giants fans. Oh, um, yeah. You know, he, he's got the talent around him now. It's really going to come down to the offensive line. I, I do wish yep. that they drafted a lineman um, or some signs drafted, you know, changed it up a little bit, did something, because it was not good enough last year where we can look at it and say, all right, we don't have to do anything going into this season, in my opinion. Um, so I do wish they did something there, but they added talent at the receiving position. Evan Ingram still has the potential to be an elite tight end. He's just got to catch the ball a little bit more. Um, Barkley's coming back healthy. They signed Devontae Booker. They drafted a running back in the later rounds of the draft. Um, and you know, if they could stay healthy and their offense has weapons, they have weapons. So it's up to Danny to prove it. Yeah. And the funny thing is about, we were talking with, uh, Tony being the 20th pick overall, and how it felt early, but he, they got the guy they liked, right? So even though it felt early, according to a ton of sources, a ton of mock drafts, a ton of big boards, the guy they got in the second round, Aziz Ojalari, was such a high-rated prospect that if he went number 20, nobody would have batted an eye, right? Now, Tony probably wouldn't have fell to 50, so who knows? Maybe it worked out great if you just, in your head, kind of do some awesome. mind tricks on yourself and be like, yeah, Tony was the two, and Aziz, whatever. So Aziz Ojalari, outside linebacker from Georgia, like, Freak athlete stud, you know. So, who knows how to work out? That's exciting stuff. And uh, with all this receiver stuff, it, it all—it's always one of the more exciting things. So we'll see how they help those young quarterbacks once we get to the season. For now, though, let's move on to baseball. We will touch on the Knicks. I believe why we why we finish recording this podcast, we'll have a final score. They're currently leading in the third quarter against Memphis. Every game big for them. The fourth seeded Knicks. What? Still not used to saying Love that. Out. Still not used to saying it out loud. I'm really, really not. So we'll talk Knicks maybe on last words. But for now, let's get into some baseball. And I think we have to start with the New York Yankees. Because, Andrew, this is what, three years of us doing this podcast together? Yep. The third baseball season, if you will. I think this has happened every season. I think every, and I don't have the stats to prove it. I didn't look it up. I don't care. It feels like now this is the the Yankees' new thing. They start really slow. All of a sudden, they're average. And then all of a sudden, they're back on top of the AL East. 
It's not a worry that they're going to win the AL East again. And they're just back to hitting home runs and being awesome. They're not there yet, obviously. But did this simple little streak that they weren't even playing that great, but got them back, got themselves back to 500. That just calmed you down. Did that calm Yankees fans down? Because I swear, doesn't it feel like this happens every single year now? It it does. Um, you know, I, I you know I I like that they're winning. Sure, uh, you know, but they beat the Detroit Tigers. I would have loved them to see this do this against uh, Tampa Bay, for sure. You know, instead of Detroit. But I mean, you can only play who's on your on your schedule and the offense is starting to come around. And, you know, like I, like I said, on, uh, on the questions that I was answering on our Instagram feed, you know, I was really wasn't, you know, overly concerned about the offense and wasn't really overly concerned about the pitching and Corey Kluber, uh, came has come out and the calendar's flipped over to may, you know, if you take a look at his baseline stats and his career stats that, uh, you know, his ERA is usually like a, a run and a half higher in the months of March and April than it is from, May through September. So, you know, we got the, looks like we got the good version of Corey Kluber going forward to pair him with Cole and, you know, judge is starting to hit and judge has been pretty consistent. Uh, you know, when he's on the field, you know, Stanton's hitting, he's got, uh, he got his average up to 271. DJ's getting up there. He's got his on-base percentage almost two, uh, 360. Uh, Gio Rochelle has been hitting the whole season and, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty good so far. I mean, Glaber's still, uh, struggling a little bit, no power whatsoever from him. But, uh, you know, he's taking his walks and same with Frazier. He's, he seems like he's coming out of it a little bit. He's taking his walks a lot. He's almost a 300 on base percentage, but he's still only batting a buck 50. So he's wild. getting his walks and Torres is getting his walks too. And Hicks and Sanchez look, um, still look pretty lost. So, you know, there's, there's room for improvement and, you know, Luke Voigt should be coming back uh, either next week or, you know, soon thereafter so there's a little hope for a little spark in the offense there and the pitching staff's doing pretty well and the bull of uh, the bullpen's been outrageously good all can we talk about Aroldis chapman being the best uh reliever in baseball and he hasn't given up a run yet is that right no zero era that's crazy uh, ten, 10 innings pitch 24 strikeouts only two hits two hits he's untouchable right now basically untouchable now that he has like a true third pitch is splitter and he's like actually he's been like tinkering around with it for like the last two seasons but now it seems like he has like full command of the pitch and he's just like he's throwing like a 92 mile an hour splitter and it's just it's incredible and his velocity's back up he's consistently throwing like 102 um on his fastball and his slide is just just nasty he's absolutely unhittable so i think he's the best he's looked in a yankees uniform uh, ever, you know, since they got him in 2016. Can I ask you a question so, about a statistic here, Andrew? Uh, fielding yeah. independent pitching, right? Yes. Is there a negative fielding independent pitching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my question. That means like it's so good that it's actually like breaking the rules of giving up yes. runs. Like, right? Is that, is that right? He's, bro- he's, bro- he's broken stats. So yeah, far. he so broke the stat. independent pitching just basically takes into account of what the pitcher actually controls. Like, so um strikeouts you know they can control strikeouts and and walks basically hits uh you know obviously there's like it the luck factor comes in it could be bad defense it could be miscalculation on uh alignment someone could have beat the shift you know so bloopers they talk about they take all that stuff gets taken out of the of the stats right you're talking straight on strikeouts and and walks anything that 
and home runs, uh, basically what the pitcher can control. And so, so you know, he's <laughs> a negative 0.74 FIP. So he's he's broken the statistics. Yeah. Like it's 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 that good. <laughs> For reference here, right? It doesn't always work out in the pitcher's favor, right? So if, no. like you said, the strikeouts help the pitcher, other things may hurt the pitcher. For example, Garrett Cole's ERA is 1.43, which is freaking awesome. His fielding independent pitching with ERA, if you want to add that to the stat to make it make sense in your head, is 0. 0.48 because he has 62 strikeouts in yep. 37 innings, right? Corey yeah, Kluber, was- on the other hand, has a very solid 3.0 uh, ERA, but he's only struck out 29 guys in 29 mm-hmm. innings. His FIP is a 4.19. It's almost a full point higher than his ERA. But for all this Chapman with yeah, exactly. 0.00, Corey, Corey Kluber a, creates a lot of contact right. and a lot of weak ground balls, a lot of soft contact. So he's always going to outperform uh, his FIP or his expected uh, FIP, if that makes sense. Yes, 100%. And that's just more wild. And yes, it's only 10 innings. Chapman's a closer, so then he pitches one inning at a time, more or less. But still, he's in the negatives right now. He's got 24 strikeouts in 10 innings. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, oh, it's, it's ridiculous. Absolute, it's absolutely bonkers for, you know, to, for him right now. And uh, David Cohn made the joke on the broadcast the other day. They're like, oh, now that he's got a third pitch, you know, the Yankees should, uh, should try to try him out as a starter again, you know. Do the do the whole job of whole job uh, rules thing. Yeah, no, miss miss me with that. Let's keep let's keep it the good thing good. Uh, my question though Absolutely. about the bullpen, you're happy with some of the progress here? I know off the jump of the season, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, this bullpen might be an issue. It's been such a big strength for so long. What's kind of going on now? And now all of a sudden, we're getting more into the swing of things. And you have Luizaga, who's been great, 16 innings pitched, only a few runs. Same thing for Chad Green. Same thing for uh, Luis Sessa. Like. These things are are kind of starting to fall into place here, right? So now with this, all these things starting to fall into place, is there a unit on this team that you have, or that I should say that you're now more most concerned with? Because it probably was the bullpen at the beginning of the year. Maybe it was the starting pitching because we were giving the hitter some time. If you look at this roster now, where's the hole? What's the the worst unit they got? It's the it's the bottom bottom half of the order currently mm. it's the it's the offense and again like a like i was saying before you know odor is still getting a lot of uh at bats and yeah he, he hits her power but again he's still only hitting a buck 69 um gary sanchez is still very much struggling and now he's you know uh kind of kind of been basically benched for kyle Higashioka, who's now basically starting uh four or five times a week and gary's getting two two starts a week which is kind of crazy to me um you know the yankees picked up his option you know they're paying him six million dollars a year and you're telling me you're going to pull the plug on gary after 65 at bats uh, and you know again I'm, I'm the big i'm i'll be the biggest gary sanchez defender this podcast has and you know i'm happy that higashioka is actually doing something and i honestly don't think he would be playing as much as he was if you know the rest of the lineup wasn't struggling so the yankees are kind of just looking for offense wherever they can get it uh, you know so again at, at least Aaron Hicks uh is, isn't batting the three hole anymore and you know Frazier's starting to come out of it a little bit but and Glaber Torres power has completely disappeared so you know it's still concerning that half of your lineup's not hitting but it's better than uh, a couple of weeks ago when nobody was 
absolutely nobody in the lineup was hitting at the moment. So, uh, you know, so it's progress, but that's still, you know, my biggest concern uh, with the team at the moment, still very, again, they're not going to change being very right-handed and um, still being able to be exposed by other teams, bullpens and stuff. But again, they've, they've played the team, the, the, the worst teams that they've can played and, you know, they put some runs on the board, but um, I'd really like them to see them do it against, you know, better competition than the Detroit Tigers and the Baltimore Orioles. So, um, we'll see who uh who would you say um has been the most pleasant surprise for you this year you know as a Yankee fan has it been Higashioka um you know stepping in and in a, in a situation where I guess he wasn't really expecting to be playing as often as he is of course like or has it been someone out of the bullpen or has it been judge's consistency that he's been picking up or Stanton's consistency that he's worked is it Chapman you know so who who's been the biggest you know most pleasant surprise for you personally? Uh, I think it's Luizaga. Um, he was kind of my fan pick last year, and you know he struggled uh, a bit of the pulpit, but he's really taken the opportunity with um, Britain going down and uh, now O'Day going down as being the you know the key reliever, one of the key relievers, uh, setup men for Chapman. So um, good strikeout numbers. He's got you know really low ERA and. Uh, he looks great while he's out there, and he gives and he can give them two, three innings at a time when he when he's going. He's pitched already sixteen innings so far, so um, I would say him, uh, him and uh, Lucas Licky. And I know that's Alex uh, guy that he just doesn't like because I drafted him in fantasy. Uh, <laughs> Classic. So, so he's, he holds it against me. I mean, but he had a Lickie, rough start too, Lucky. Yeah, he. Uh, you know, he, he's been getting a lot of garbage time innings and, you know, he had that one uh, appearance where he gave up like four or five runs in like two thirds of an inning. So it shot up his ERA, but he's got good strikeout numbers too. And, um, you know, obviously the Yankees liked him, like this 35 year, 34 year old pitcher enough where, you know, his spin rates are great. And, you know, he's getting like decently leveraged spots and, um, you know, the, there's just a lot of, a lot of guys. And, you know, I think, the, the biggest problem with their with their bullpen last year was that the guys that they were throwing out there was basically like the same look, basically the same arm angle they were throwing at. And, um, you know, this year when you bring in Justin Wilson and when you bring in O'Day and Loisaga and uh, Licky, they all have different arm angles. So a, a guy can't kind of zone in on one spot when he's uh, when he's watching the, the pitchers throw every time they bring somebody in with a different look and a different kind of repertoire. Um, I think they kind of learned that from the Rays last year. So they have a bunch of guys with different looks and I feel like that's been a, a real success for them and kind of shown uh, the big improvement for them from, uh, from 2020. Yeah. I feel like that could sometimes be undervalued almost is like changing the look of the pitcher, changing the batter's view of the ball coming in, like from yep. the angle that it's coming in at, I feel like Sometimes like, you know, and we, we've talked on this pod before about like over analyzing the game today and micromanaging and stuff like that. But I do feel like, you know, like you just said, changing the delivery, having different guys out there um, that can get the ball to the plate in a different way, or even guys that have different specialty pitches, like their go-to specialty pitch, that they're not all the same throughout the bullpen, yep. um, I think goes a long way, goes a long way for sure. I love Loisaga, by the way. I'm a big, a big Jonathan Loisaga fan. Me too, yeah. Me love too. to say his name. Like he's just a guy all around. Big, big fan of his. Um, out of those other starting pitchers, since we're going to stick with pitching here for a second, uh, at, you know, you just talked about Kluber before, but then you got Montgomery, Tyon, Domingo, Herman. Like, 
there's been some ups and downs there. There hasn't been the consistency you wanted. Are you seeing enough, though? Are you, are you seeing enough to make you feel good about what you have moving forward is the question. Uh, Tyon, he's up and down, um, you know. And again, I I feel like they, they're building him up and they're bringing him along slower than other guys. Again, you know, two, two Tommy John surgeries in a row. And, um, you know, he just, he just went five innings, uh, last time out. So, you know, he's got, uh, you know, he's walking a little too many guys, uh, two, two walks per nine, giving up some home runs. The K rate's pretty good. Um, FIP is a lot better um, than his uh, actual ERA. FIP is a 4.23 and his ERA is in the fives or sixes, I think. Yeah, it's 5.2. 5, 5.24. So, you know, he's, 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 he's getting the strikeouts and uh, he's looking better, but uh, I feel like he's going to get built up a, a little slower. And, and you know, Montgomery, uh, you know, he, he, he always does this thing where he he's cruising along for like four innings and then he'll have like that one rough outing uh, run rough inning where he'll give up like three or four runs and then he'll be fine before or after whenever that happens. So it just seems to um, happen to him in the middle of his starts. Um, so if he can get that kind of under control, um, you know, he's given them, giving them decent length. And I think he's a, uh, you know, uh, third most innings. He's right behind Kluber, and Kluber just threw eight. So, I mean, Montgomery was kind of giving them consistent uh, five, six innings each time out. So, um, you know, he's doing what he's doing, and, you know, Herman's, you know, number five starter, and he's going to be going up and down, and they're going to be bringing up Garcia too, um, you know, and uh, Severino's going to be on his way back. So I'm not I'm not too too worried about the rotation at the moment but again i i feel like if there was an addition that they would make at the deadline i would hope that starting pitching might be the way to address it but um i guess we'll see yeah absolutely i mean it sounds like you have enough to to make it work and you got some things in in the works here that are coming up that can help more right and then if you even need to one of those guys uh gets pushed into the pen they could help out there too right i don't know who that guy might be exactly uh but it, it gives you the depth that Yankee pitching staffs have had a or have gotten accustomed to having right that depth in the yeah. bullpen, that depth at the rotation. Um, even if there's not tons of top end in the rotation, having five or six guys you can trust to get you five or six innings is huge. It's very very huge. And uh, the Mets, for example, Lucchese didn't get there tonight uh, with against the Cardinals. He came out in the third inning. That really crushes you when you have multiple yep. games in a row. And uh, obviously, at least the Yankees are in the AL, which is a real baseball league and has a designated hitter, but we're not going there. Um, Mike, I did want to ask you a question that back to the Gary Sanchez-Higashioka debate because Yankee fans are extremely passionate about this. And us as Met fans, you and I as Mets fans, I feel like we can bring a little bit more objectivity to it because Yankee fans have to sink their heels into the side that they're on. You're either pro-Gary Sanchez, you think he could still be great, hit a ton of home runs, and he's the better hitter, he should be in the lineup. Then there's the other Yankee fan who says he's not as good on defense, he's not hitting as well, he hasn't hit as well in X amount of years, why is he still the starter? It should be Higashioka all day, every day. And there's no one in between. There's no Yankee fans who are fair-weathered on this debate. So as a Mets fan who doesn't particularly care who's catching for the Yankees, what's your take there? Is it what have you done for me lately, or do you give Sanchez that nod of the historic home run seasons he's had in the past. 
Yeah. So for me, uh, it's it's what have you done for me lately? Uh, I think especially in the game of baseball, it's players can be extremely streaky. Teams can be extremely streaky, perhaps more than any other sport. Um, and I think that's part of the game. But I also think that that gets taken into account when, you know, if you're if you've got a hot bat and you're playing well and you're hitting the crap out of the ball and you know what I mean, you're, you're playing solid defense, you should be in the lineup. And I think that that's bottom line not to take away from Gary Sanchez and the things that he has accomplished, but I think that we've talked about it before that this, you know, is considered to be a prove it year for him. And now I think it's another thing to debate whether he has the opportunity to prove it if he doesn't get that time to play, but you know, sometimes that's just the way the game goes, you know, I mean, not to change sports here, but Alex Smith, for example, you know, starting quarterback in San Francisco gets replaced with Colin Kaepernick. Next thing you know, he's out of a job and, Alex Smith was doing great in San Francisco. And then he goes to Kansas city. Next thing you know, he, you know, he's doing well there. And then he's out of a job because Patrick Mahomes replaces him. Um, and he goes to Washington. And I don't want to say he led them to the playoffs because I don't know if that's a fair statement to make, but you know, they wound up being a playoff team. He's their he, starting quarterback. He directed the them there. You can say he directed him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's yeah. fair. Um, and now he's out of a job. And, you know, sometimes that's just the way, you know, the, that's the way the, the cards fall. And um, it is different with baseball, of course. Um, it's a much longer season. And, you know what I mean? There's you're almost like guaranteed, like quarterbacks aren't benched for rest in a 16 game season. Catchers get the day off, you know what I mean? And if one guy's starting to play better, it's also tough, too, because certain catchers are paired with certain pitchers. Um, even though some managers might not always admit that, that just winds up being the case. Um, so for me, it's what have you done for me lately? And if Higashioka is doing more lately, then Higashioka should be in the lineup more often. Yeah, I mean, and Higgy's he's slugging 706 right now. So I mean, like he's he's hitting he's hitting the ball, you know, really well, at least for power. And that's something the Yankees lineup was kind of, you know has been missing. So I, like, I under I understand it. And especially with the lineup struggling, but I mean, again, I, I think when things start to get more back to normal, I think whether or not Gary earns it or not, I think you'll see Gary start to get more of the at bats. Cause I think again, Higashioka is a 31 year old career backup catcher with like 300 plate appearances, like total in like six years of his career. So like that's like that's half a season worth of in your entire career. So like it's super small sample size, and you know they want to kind of light. Maybe they want to try to light a fire under him and have him, you know, to get motivated to to play well. Kind of what they did with Clint Frazier. But I mean, Gary Gary seems to be a different kind of guy. I feel like when he loses his confidence, um, you know, it kind of spirals from there. But let's see, you know, I think he'll get the opportunity to it, at least once or two more times this year to be able to prove that he's a, a starting catcher in, in baseball. But right now he's just not, he's not doing it, you know, then, and, and that's, you know, it's okay. It's been 70, 70 something played appearances. So um, you still give him time and still, still very early in the season. But uh, I think the, the benching is pretty much warranted, especially the way Higashioka has been, you know, hitting and um, you know, the way he's been able to, you know, play defense and, you know, the, the pitcher seems to like throwing to him too. But again, this, I, I think he'll get overexposed um, if he actually turns into the Yankees starting catcher. But uh, we'll, 
we'll see how it goes. But uh, I'm yeah. fairly certain that Gary Sanchez will 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 still be the starter by the end of the season. That, yeah, I mean, and in the meantime, you take what you can get from Higashioka. He has seven extra base hits, four of them home runs, three of them doubles. That is only less than Judge, Stanton, Gio Urshela. That's it on the whole team. So he's he's fourth in extra base hits on this team. That's like that's part with how bad the the offense has been for the Yankees, yeah. and that's part yeah. with how much he's taken advantage of his. 40 at bats or his 40 plate appearances, only 34 at bats, really. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a little yeah, bit of both. Say that's a, it's more indicative of how bad the Yankees' offense has been rather than how good. And I mean, Yankees been good, but yeah. the Yankees' offense overall has been very bad. So I mean, he's uh, got nine hits they, and seven of them are extra base hits. <laughs> yeah, he's, you know that's just sometimes you. you yeah. I won't say you fluke into those things, but sometimes you know this baseball that sometimes that shit happens. Susan, just, that's it. That's baseball, yeah. Susan. You can't predict baseball. No, and uh, you know the one saving grace that I'm looking at this, and you're right, you brought up the point before, just to give a little more context. Sanchez struggling, LeMahieu picking it up, but for his metrics, uh, struggling, and Glaber uh, struggling. 11 walks for Gary, 14 walks for DJ, 13 walks for Glaber, and 14 walks for Clint. That's that's damn good for teams yeah, when you're not hitting on base. Get on base. They're not doing anything with it. You know, this so is a good sign. Good approach, around- right? Yeah, it's a, the right approach, and that's exactly how the Yankees yes. win baseball games. They get on base and they hit home runs, or they hit extra base hits. Just they, you know, the extra base hits just haven't been coming. You know, so like the the process is good, just the results, you know, just aren't there right now. And yeah. you know, I think over one sixty two, the results will you know eventually get there. You know, if the pro- as long as the process is sound and the process has been you know good so far. Absolutely. Um, anything else, Andrew, you want to touch on with the Yankees? I don't know if I have anything else more, any, anything else specific, at least before we move on to the Mets. Uh, Glaber Torres is, you know, it's been ever since I think there was uh, someone brought it up. Um, I was reading somewhere uh, ever since uh, I think it was the, the stack MLB stack uh, podcast. Um, I think since, late 2019 like after it, it, all the all the games that you take out against like the Orioles where like he mm-hmm. was like just going off um Glaber Torres turns into like a very very much average baseball player and we're talking about a guy who's you know he's a two-time all-star and you know but he really hasn't hit um you know since like middle of 2019 and I think that would be the more con- most concerning thing uh, about the team at the moment is uh, Glaber Torres, who at one time was uh, one of the top overall uh, prospects in baseball. And, you know, the key to, you know, the Araldis Trapman trade, which the Yankees won anyway. So it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really matter about winning the trade or not, but you know, this is uh, this guy who you thought was going to be a big cornerstone of the team and the, the basically maybe even the face of the franchise going forward you know, has really been struggling and really been struggling for the better part of, you know, in a year and a half now outside of, you know, the postseason, which still counts. And he, he hits like, he hits crazy in the postseason, which is, um, which is nice, but he didn't really carry that over into uh, this year at all. So I'm, you know, if you ask me, you know, you asked me before, what's my biggest concern? I think it's, it's Glaber Torres number is number one. And it doesn't help that he's not great on defense. Being that guy that everyone thought he was going to be. Um, So, you know, he's got, again, still early and still time, but, you know, no home runs, 
um, you know. It's, it's very, let me let me ask you a question. We could use this as a segue. Sure. Because I, I did mention this before if people didn't hear it. He's also not great on defense, which doesn't help no. his cause, right? So moving on from that, does he get booed a lot in Yankee Stadium? Is he getting booed right now? No. John Carl Stanton gets booed and for some reason. He's and he's hit he's one that's actually hitting. Glaver Glaver's not getting getting booed at the moment. I mean, I I think it, you're gonna get there very quickly, but mm. he's not currently not getting uh not getting booed. I just thought maybe with the defensive, well, not that he's had specific defensive woes recently, but he's, he's people have been talking about it online, and people have been talking about uh, you know the defensive miscues. I've been mean, people are writing about that more, but right. again, I haven't been to I haven't been to the stadium yet this year, so I, I can't see the temperament. But the only the only player I remember, or I, I can take the broadcast to take a note about booing, has been Stanton, mm. but. Um, I was you just know, I was just intrigued because I'm I'm going to use that as a segue here. Obviously, I think you know yeah. where we might be going. On the other side of town in New York, we have a shortstop who is doing all the defensive work and you know playing hard and whatnot, but he's not hitting very well. He's in a slump for sure. Francisco Lindor has not been hitting well. There's no way to hide that. There's no metric to skew it, make it sound like he is doing better. I mean, he's batting 171. He does have his OBP almost at 300. He's been walked a decent bit, so that's fine, but. If you looked at his approach, you looked at his at-bats, he probably could be walked even more. He's swinging the balls out of the zone, and he's getting booed. He is. I, I personally don't agree with it. I'm not a booer, per se, anyway. I'm not the type of guy to be at a game, boo, to yell out like that. It's just not my style. But I do get booing. What I don't get, Andrew and Mike, is booing 18 games into the season, into his 10-year contract. So am I being soft? Am I being you know, too nonchalant about the struggles here, or is it a rite of passage? And I'm editorializing really hard here, but like it kind of bothers me that Mets fans, New York fans, fans in general feel like they have the right to boo somebody who's playing their ass off. Who's 18 games into a 162 game season. Like, come on, grow up. If, if it's games 75, 80, 90, and he's still batting 170, do what you want. It's too early for me. Yeah. What do you think? I, I I agree. I mean, I I have a couple of uh, you know ba- baby boomer uh, friends that I've I've come along from fantasy baseball leagues and stuff, and everyone's like, "Oh, Lindor, three hundred million dollars, and he's batting, you know, one uh, not batting uh, over his weight, and uh, you know, shit like that," which is which is frustrating because you know where exactly where it's coming from, but. Um, you know, I, I I get it. You know, when, especially when the Mets' offense is struggling as it is, and you're looking for kind of the guy that came over to be that spark in the lineup, and he just hasn't been it yet, and that's frustrating, especially in those games where Degrom was, uh, you know, where he got his two losses so far. You know, I feel like Lindor was up in a couple of big spots where he just didn't come through. So I feel like that that. Uh, you know, that's brought the ire of Mets fans down on him. But uh, again, it's, it's yeah, it's really early. And, you know, after you sign that kind of a big contract, you, you kind of feel like you have to, maybe he's pressing a little bit that you have to feel like you have to go out there and you have to earn your $300 million there, like immediately and try to, you know, hit a five run home run every time you're up at bat. So, you know, Lindor is going to be fine. Uh, again, you, you know, the, the Mets wouldn't have, given out a they wouldn't have traded for him 
And then they wouldn't have then given him $300 million if they didn't believe that he was going to be a real difference maker on this team going forward. And, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, it hasn't been the case so far, but, uh, you know, he, he's, his stats are going to look, uh, you know, like the back of his baseball card by the end of the year. So I'm, I'm very confident in that fact. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I agree with you guys. I agree with you guys wholeheartedly. Um, I am also not the kind of person to go to the stadium and be booing, um, especially 20 games into the season. Uh, I think it's way too early. I think he's proven enough throughout his career to have earned the right to not get booed 20 games into a season. Um, but again, as a Mets fan, I get it. You know what I mean? This guy, you know, he's not Kevin Pillar that we got in the offseason, who, by the way, shout out Kevin Pillar has been hitting really well the past two nights. Um, yeah, home run last night. But he's not Kevin Pillar well. that, that we got in the offseason. You know, this is, this is the guy. This is the guy that we got to come over and do what he's been doing, to do Francisco Lindor type things, to hit like he's getting paid $340 million. Um, so to not see that early on, especially like we said, with the Mets offense struggling, um, it's definitely frustrating. But I think something to also note is how frustrated he he is himself to not be producing um, and how he's handling it. You know, I've been watching and, you know, he's been up in a lot of situations, bases loaded, runners in scoring position, guys on base, and he hasn't gotten it done. Whether he's struck out, he's flown out, whatever it's been, he's not slamming his helmet down. He's not, you know, just the body language. You know what I mean? He's not going out there and showing how frustrated he is. And clearly we have to know he is. You know what I mean? The competitor that he is, who he is as a, as a person and as a ball player, he, he wants to go out. He's come out and said, like, I understand the boots. You know, there's expectations that come with being Francisco Lindor, and he's earned those expectations by being Francisco Lindor. But I agree with you guys. I think by the end of the season, he's going to have the stats that are on the back of his baseball card. And I think, I don't know if anyone saw the post-game interview with Pete Alonso last night on ESPN. Um, he was asked, how he supports Lindor while he's adjusting to the new team, to the new city. And Pete almost laughed it off. And he was just like, the guy makes freaking $340 million for God's sake. Like, you know, he's going to come around. He's going to get out of this slump. And I think that's all he needs. I think once he, you know, gets some hits going, drives some guys in, he'll kind of get his confidence back and get out of his own head. It's, it's, it's the real mental thing too, I believe. Um, and being playing in New York. I mean, part of the pressure of playing in New York is, the media and having those high expectations, especially when your team is supposed to be good and be competing. Um, so I do, I think it's going to all come naturally and it's way too early to, you know, say that it wasn't worth the money or he's not the player we thought he was. I think that's ridiculous. Um, but it, it is frustrating and I understand that. So he'll get it together though. Yeah. I think part of the reason why I was frustrated too, I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter, like James McCann's wife was getting like hounded because it was like, Oh, your husband sucks at baseball. Like when that stuff starts happening, I just feel like you're making Mets fans look like shit. It's like yeah. when you meet an Eagles fan or a Phillies fan or a Sixers fan, who's a normal guy who roots for his team, who's just like anyone else. And it's just like, Oh yeah. But like your fan base is known as like the worst types of people. Right. And they're just like, uh, like, you know, what am I going to do? Like my hands are tied. Like, I hate that. Like, I don't want, I don't want people out here on Twitter seeing, Oh my God, Mets fans are attacking James McCann's wife on Twitter. Like that is terrible. That is out of bounds. That should not exist, especially at this point of time. Like, so it's ridiculous. Maybe that's why I was a little bit triggered. This is also why we need Alec here sometimes. Cause I know, cause I talked to him this weekend about it. 
he's like, yo, boo. He's like, I don't care. Boo. It's your right. Whatever. Like, that's how he feels. He would obviously say it more eloquent and probably push it a little bit more stronger um, or strongly. But, but that's just how I feel. I don't know. But I, I'm, I'm on board with all that stuff. I think Lindor comes around. It's only a matter of time. And I think his energy is part of the reason why he is who he is. And it seems like he's still smiling. He's still grinding. He's still making plays in the field. Incredible plays sometimes that are so nonchalant for him. We probably take it for granted already as fans watching him for a couple games. He's that good in the field. So it'll come around. It will. Um, we didn't also, mention. Oh, yeah, go also, ahead. Alex, Alex a maniac, by the way. Like, oh, my God. He's he, a maniac. He's a, he's a, Alex, I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to take the, the, the advice of booing from someone who, like, almost got kicked out of like the second <laughs> inning of like Yankees Orioles, like, like two weeks ago. Like, so, uh, so chill. Oh yeah. Chill. I'm not saying chill he's right. That. I'm just saying for a difference of diversity of opinion, that's I why understand. we need him here. I disagree with him vehemently. <laughs> and also, I, he's a I'll, nut. I'll, 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 you know, I'll boo. It depends how many beers I have, you know, but I'll, I'll occasionally I'll get, I'll get frustrated and I'll boo, but like Alex, a maniac. He's, he's, he's on another level. Yeah. We don't need. We don't even need to discuss the specifics of what get can get said down the line at a Yankee game <laughs> when Alec Argento is in the stadium. Uh, anyways, let's move on because we didn't mention that Garrett Cole was the pitcher of the month for the Yankees. So shout out to him. We did mention his greatness thus far. Degrom is the same. Point five ERA, thirty five innings, fifty nine strikeouts, only walked four. And we have the two best pitchers in baseball in New York right now. It's not particularly close, is it, Andrew? No, it's not. Well, and I wouldn't say it's particularly close on who who the best pitcher in baseball is. I mean, like I know when Cole first came over to the Yankees, it was a debate on, you know, who's who's actually the best pitcher. It's Jacob Degrom, and it's it's really easy to say, especially like just watching him, just watching him pitch like the this first part of the season, like hitting consistently over a hundred. Uh, I know we talked about him doing that in spring training, but like just absolutely putting the team on his back and he still, it still only has two wins, which is uh, mind boggling and have an ERA 0.51. Like just, just, just out of this world, like Garrett Coles was very good, but Jacob deGrom is like on an absolute another planet on, (laughs) on best pitch in baseball, best pitcher in baseball. So it's not even particularly close. Can you imagine giving up, Two earned runs in 35 innings and having two losses. <laughs> it's just silly. It really yeah. is just silly. I know, um, like, me and Mike as Met fans over here, there's this really weird thing that happens when you know DeGrom's on the mound where you're, like, excited, but you're also really nervous that it's just going to happen again. It's yeah. so sad, honestly. Like, I can't help but chuckle, but it's really just masking the pain. <laughs> and I don't know yeah. what to do about it. I mean, and then finally, like, you know, the one game where they give some run support, you know, he has the worst game he does of the year. You know, like, it's just, it's Murphy's Law with Jacob DeGrom. He goes eight innings, one run earned, like, it, it's over. It doesn't matter. He goes yeah, set- he, he watched he watched Garrett Cole get uh, eight runs support last time out, and he basically, like, threw his soda at the television. Like, oh, my he, God. Like, he just... He was just so angry. It's the opposite and, uh, of that there, Leonardo there DiCaprio like a, there meme. There's like a meme, like the the biggest rivalry in baseball is Jacob Degrom and uh, versus the Mets offense. Oh God! I just wish we got to the point where we don't have to make those jokes anymore. Where it doesn't become like the the low hanging fruit of the whole league of like how the Mets cannot score for this guy. It's ridiculous. 
It really, I, we need Donnie Stevenson to come through for the Mets here. Get the Mets. I don't know if have you guys heard of the Donnie Stevenson stuff with the Mets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. So basically, it's a a bit that they're running. These play the players, Pete Alonso, J.D. Davis, Nimmo, all the players are talking about the new hitting coach. His approach is elevating and celebrating, and he's got mm-hmm. them. You know, he's their approach coach, and he's got it right. And since they've been joking about Donnie Stevenson, they obviously put eight runs on the board uh, two nights ago. They scored some runs tonight, so the, the bats have been getting a little bit hotter. Uh, but that goes to show the one thing of why I'm not overly concerned about this team yet. The mindset feels strong still. The Other than the thing hanging over them when Jacob DeGrom pitches and they can't score a run, the mindset feels good. The It feels like they're still light. They're not put pressing too much yet outside of maybe one or two guys. So is there much to be concerned about? Mike, what is your major concern with the Mets if you had to pick one right now? Oof. Um, I mean, aside from what we talked about with Lindor already getting that going, I mean, that's just going to happen on its own. Um, I mean, I, things that we've talked about earlier on this pod, the bullpen, which was an issue, which then started to look a little bit better. Now it was starting to look a little shakier again. I mean, after Diaz's performance last night, I mean, it, just when you think not that you could trust them because you can never trust him. Like there is no way I will ever have 100% trust. And Edwin Diaz, which is sad, as my he's the closer. You know what I mean? Like he can if, he can have a point five ERA, and you're still nervous. Like he is here. He could literally I'm not nervous. giving up a run the entire year, and you can still be so nervous every time. He came into the game last night in the ninth inning with a four run lead, too many runs for a save opportunity, and I wish I could say I was surprised when I saw that the game was about to be tied eight eight. It wound up being eight seven, but regardless, like. The fact that he even got himself in that position is just only Edwin Diaz can do that. On like, I feel like these things like can only happen to us. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's crazy. Um, but I I, th- I definitely think that's an issue going forward. Um, a, a huge issue because if you're not able to close out four run leads in the ninth inning, you're not going to win a lot of games. Um, especially when they matter. I mean, if I don't have confidence in you with a four run lead, how am I going to have confidence in you in an, a real save situation where it applies? Um, guys like Trevor may have been stepping it up. Uh, he's looked a lot better. Uh, I feel like what I've seen from him, um, even familia, which sounds crazy. And I know I'm going to say this and then his next appearance, he could get rocked, but has looked okay. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> he's looked all right. Um, you know, the, like you said, the bats are going. Uh, I believe what did Pete call him? Donnie Diesel. He just kept saying it during the interview last night. It was it was so funny. But I, I agree with you. I love that. Like, you know, they're not sitting here. Like, they realize that they're struggling. They realize that they're underachieving for the first twenty games into the season. But they also realize that it's twenty games into the season. The New York media is going to be the New York media, and they're going to make it like you know the seat. Well, the season's down the toilet. You know what I mean? Like all these ridiculous things um, that get blown out of proportion. Um, and they're just trying to play their game. They're, they're working hard. They're doing their thing and they go out and they compete every night. Um, you know, other than that, I, I Dom Smith has really not been hitting great this year. Um, so that I think is definitely an issue. Uh, guys, of course, being healthy is an issue for every team, but first it was JD was out for like a week or two. Now, Brandon Nimmo, who was our best hitter uh led on base percentage or at least i believe i'm sure he had to like yeah um has now you know suffered a minor injury or hopefully minor um we're still waiting for carrasco and Syndergaard to get back we're still waiting for lugo to get back um 
So there's still pieces of the puzzle that are coming. Um, I believe they said last night that Carrasco could be joining the team in mid-May um, and making his first appearance, which is, uh, I believe, two weeks away. So exciting stuff there. Um, Syndergaard is a little ways down the road. But, you know, when these pieces come together and they click, they have the potential. They, they just got to they gotta make it happen. And as long as they keep this same mentality of, you know, we're 20 games into the season, it's early on. They're not horrible. You know what I mean? Like, they're mm. not, like, 10 games under. Like, yeah, they might be underachieving, quote-unquote, for, you know, the team that they have on paper right now. But I would rather have them be playing this mediocre ball, figuring out their way right now, you know, grinding through from now when there's, you know, 20, 30, 40 games left in the season, you're competing for division or a wild card or whatever it's going to be. You know, right. that's when you got to be playing your best ball of the season. Um, so hopefully that's what happens with them. I think that's safe to say for both Yankees and Mets right now. It's actually a really good thing that with all these negatives we can point out, with all these individual players struggling that we can point out, they're playing pretty close to 500 ball. And that usually means that your floor is pretty high. We don't know about their ceiling exactly, but we think both of their ceilings can be high. If you have a high floor, it helps you hit, It helps you reach it. it. That's as simple as that. If you can play 500 ball at your worst, probably going to end up on a nice a nice place in the standings, realistically, right? Absolutely, yeah. And, and they're in. Uh, I think there's. Are they still tied in for? Did they? They lost. They lost tonight. Lost, they just finished up. Yeah, they're, they're, they're probably tied for first place still because I think. Is there a few games behind? I think the Nationals might be 500, 12 and twelve. I don't know if they played tonight, but uh, why you looked that up? I will say this: this was one of my guys this year. I thought he had a chance to really make a splash in this lineup with Lindor and Alonzo and Nimmo and McNeil. I thought Mike Conforto can have a sick year. Now, he came out of the gates horrendous. Like, it was just ugly for a minute there. But in the last 14 days, he's over 300. He's got a 400 on base percentage. He's got four doubles, two home runs. Things are looking good for Michael Conforto. If you go to the last seven days, which is five games, I'm sure this is not including the one that just finished, but he's batting almost 390 in the last five games. So that is a bat, lefty bat that if he's hitting, he can be a linchpin in this offense. Alonzo's been driving the ball to right center, which is my favorite thing to watch right now on the Mets. I think there's yep. there's some things to draw from here positively, despite the obvious negatives that have t- taken place thus far. Yeah, and, and the, the again, the rotation has been pretty strong, too. I mean, Stroman... I uh, didn't pitch so great last time out, but uh, you know, DeGrom, Stroman, Walker, and even Peterson, if you take away um, that start that Peterson had to start the year when he gave up six runs in like two innings, mm-hmm. his ERA is like a 3.1 ERA and he's got good strikeout numbers. So like, I'd be really encouraged right now that the Mets are, are going to add soon. They're going to add a Carlos Carrasco to that mix. And then they're going to add a Noah Syndergaard uh, to that mix. So you'll have a really strong um, six, you know, six starting pitchers, which is kind of an embarrassment in riches there. And, um, you know, hopefully they, uh, you know, the offense and Dom Smith uh, particularly, you know, can actually start hitting. And that's the, kind of the, been the biggest surprise for me for uh, looking at the Mets from a kind of an outsider perspective that Dom Smith is not hitting mm-hmm. for power at all i think he has the second lowest uh slugging percentage of the starters outside of mccann 
uh, and Lindor, obviously. Um, so uh, that's kind of that's kind of been really surprising for me because you know he ended last season so well, and even 2019, he he ended the season great and he kind of carried it over in 2020. So a um, little surprise, maybe it has to do with him having to play the field, you know, so often in left field and. Right. Um, you know, not being able to play first base, which is kind of his more natural position. So maybe he's uh, taking a struggle out with him to the outfield, but um, I can't say how he's looked defensively. Um, I don't know if Pete, you could comment or uh, Mike, you could comment, comment on how he's looked kind of defensively in the outfield, but um, not, not enough to be particularly bad. Like not, not enough F ups to be like, ah, it looks really bad out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Just regular, regular left fielding. At the same time, he's not in the lineup for his defense. He's in the lineup. He's not playing his primary position so he can be in the lineup to hit because his yep. bat has been that good. And, like, you know, the fact that it hasn't is certainly disappointing and frustrating. Yeah, yeah. it's true. And, man, it's just, God, do I wish we had a DH. It sucks. But thank God the Mets have depth this year. Having Villar and Pilar yeah. and, um, well, Guillaume's on the IL right now, but just having those guys in general really boosts your your floor again. And that that's another thing when the Mets, you know, some of their best runs was Wanya Rebay playing third base. You know what I'm saying? Like, those things matter, in the, especially in the National League. And if you're going to have to make all these changes, you know, like Mike was ranting before we started recording, maybe we don't want to pinch hit Taiwan Walker just to bunt. But uh, having that depth with VR and Pilar has been huge. Uh, and Albert Amora, forgot to shout him out. Even though they it haven't been hitting that, particularly uh, great, it it's just nice to have. JD Davis went down. He was actually hitting really well. Oh, he's raking. Uh, he was raking. For, you know what's actually Mets. jarring for me as a Mets fan is, and I forgot about him for the past couple of weeks. Not having Seth Lugo pitch every single game ever is really <laughs> weird. Because <laughs> for a while, it felt like he pitched every game ever. because uh, he was the only he was the only reliable option that they had out of the pen. I I, rem, I remember those podcasts where like. Lugo was pitching like three or four days in a row, like could like uh, consistently. And it was just like, is there, is there literally anybody else? And then they, they, they even got so desperate last year that they turned him into a starter where like they had, they had zero starting pitching depth. So like, again, the, the reinforcements are coming for, for the Mets on the pitching side, even though, you know, again, I would really personally, for me, I, I, I would make Trevor made the closer because, and I feel like he should have been like, you know, Diaz got his shot again, but uh, God, I, you can never feel good about him. And I know you've got, we've touched on it before. You can just never feel good about him at any time. And, you know, doesn't matter if it's two run lead and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, coming in in a non-safe situation. It's just like, which, which guy are you going to get today? And, you know, I, I feel like the, the Yankees kind of had that with Chapman the last couple of years until, yeah, obviously this year where he kind of turned it around, but like, you're just kind of just waiting for the other shoe, shoe to drop with Diaz. So it's frustrating for sure. Um, so maybe, you know, when Lugo comes back, you can, I would, I would probably put May as the closer or put Lugo as the closer and see how he does. But, you know, it's just like, I feel like that that constant, you know, the the Mets want to justify making that trade and for mm. you know trading way done and clinic and you know taking on Cano's salary and by by keeping Diaz in this role where, you know, he just consistently has not been that elite guy since coming over to the Mets. So 
I don't, I'm just not sure how much longer you can stay with him as your closer, you know, again, is it, is it the front office trying to justify a past mistake? If not, it's a sunk cost. It's already a sunk cost. You're never going to get Jared Kalanick back. You're not never going to get done back. Those guys are, are off being top uh, 25 prospects for, you know, the Mariners. This is that, you know, just do the best, do, do, do what you can to make your best, your best foot forward here and, and do what's best for the team to win today instead of trying to make up for past mistakes, I guess. I think it can go back to what I said about Sanchez, obviously a different situation, but what have you done for me lately? Like you got Diaz and he was the guy like in all of major league baseball, when he was with Seattle that season, before he came to New York, he was the best closer in baseball, led the league in saves, I believe. Um, and he was the guy, you know, the Mets went out and finally got a closer and I couldn't believe it. Like, I was just like, wow, they're actually, they realize that this is an issue, that their bullpen is a problem. So they go out and they get the best closer in baseball. And what has he done for me? No, nothing. And if, listen, if May can be that guy, then May should be that guy. And I think that if Diaz is going to continue to prove that he's not going to be the guy, the least you could do is give May, Lugo, somebody an opportunity. Yeah, I think the, the by committee thing is possible too, right? Diaz yeah. has a they good. They've got to figure it out. Like, Diaz has a good outing or two, and then maybe you give him a saver chance or two. If May's looking hot, keep rolling. You know, you got to do that. Yeah. A lot of teams do that nowadays. If, so if there's if there's a move for the Mets to make at the deadline, there's still plenty of time for them to go and address. I think it's going to be a, a bullpen piece for yeah, them to for, for add sure. to uh, dead to the pen. I mean, Miguel Castro has been really good, and so has uh, Aaron Loop. And even familiar when he's not not in high leverage spots, he's done you know an amicable job. So like the bullpen's not not horrendous, but again, it, when it comes push comes to shove at the end of the game, I think you would like to have someone else aside from May Castro and Lugo to kind of be there. And you know, Aaron, you know Diaz is being there by default. I just not sure how much longer you can stick with him there. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. Yeah. It's tough. It reminds me a little bit of Andrew Miller in not talking about the the players in particular, but the idea of where to use Andrew Miller. Remember that whole thing? It was like, he's the best reliever, but we are probably short selling him by using him as the closer. And maybe that's the case for the Mets. Maybe it's more important to have May and Lugo when Lugo's back in those six through eight innings. Maybe that is the, the case, but I don't know. We'll see what happens with the closing situation for the Mets and, and Edwin Diaz. Just something something to keep an eye on. Yeah, 100%. Because it's, it's an issue. And all Mets fans know. All Mets feel the pressure. All Mets fans understand the pain of blowing leads, especially for your best pitcher in Jacob deGrom. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, quickly around the league, I'm just going to keep this going here. I'm Byron Buxton, still killing it. Still killing it. My boy Byron Buxton over there in Minnesota. Uh, Shohei Otani. Missed a start because he got hit by a pitch in the elbow, but he's apparently fine. He actually did start as a hitter tonight. He's still crushing it. Um, and I wanted to say one more person that I'm forgetting right now. Oh, and Tatis is back. I thought he was going to be out for a long time. Andrew, did we know he was going to be back so quick hitting home runs again? I, I honestly thought, like, I tried to low-key try to scoop him up, like, by low uh, on him, like, being injured, try to try to rip off somebody and, and – uh, in my fantasy league to, tr- to try to pick him up. But I, 
I was expecting like damaged goods for the rest of this season, but like he, he, I, I don't know what the hell happened, but he just, he kind of just brushed off a semi-major shoulder injury and just yeah. continued to be Fernando Tatis Jr., which is Came back hitting nuts. dingers. It's insane. Un- unbelievable. Yeah. Um, the Giants are leading that division, if I'm not mistaken, though. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Baseball's the weird Dodgers right now. Really gone into, I, I really didn't think the Dodgers were, like, they were kind of slump-proof for, for a lot for a while, but now a bunch of guys, you know, uh, Bellinger's hurt, uh, May is having Tommy John surgery. So that was a pretty big blow, um, you know, for their rotation, uh, you know, so they've, they've kind of struggled a little bit. I mean, struggled and as, uh, as much as a 17 and 12 team can yeah. struggle, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but um, <laughs> you know, the three and seven, their last 10. So um, with a plus 45 run differential, I think that's the best in baseball and that's, that's them struggling. So yeah, they're, they're okay. I don't think we have to worry yeah, too much, right? I think, yeah, I think the Dodgers would be just fine. All right, quick last thing um, from you, Andrew. Red Sox, is it legit? What's going on over there? They're your, they're your rival. Are they your, your real rival this year, or are they just off to a hot start? Uh, I, 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 like I said this um, you know, a couple weeks ago, you know, Boston being, uh, they're definitely better than I think anybody else is going to be, uh, thought they were going to be. You know, they added, you know, they added guys to just kind of increase their margins. They added um, Kiki Hernandez. They added, uh, uh, who else did they add? Marwin Gonzalez. They added a bunch of, just a bunch of guys who, like, are filling in roles that um, they were very absent for them last year. And their pitching staff still is definitely pitching uh, above their, above water at the moment. But I, I don't think that's going to continue, um, you know, so I'm not, I'm not too worried. Uh, about the Red Sox at the moment, you know they're going to be more annoying than I than I thought they would be. But um, you know, I still think it's going to come down to the Yankees and Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, at the end of the year. Great stuff. All right. Well, our favorite time of every podcast, perhaps, is last words. I'll start off tonight. I don't always start off, but I'll start off tonight because it's it's a simple one. It's an easy one. The thirty-seven and twenty-eight New York Knicks are in the fourth seed. They are now a game and a half up on the Atlanta Hawks in the five seed. I can't believe my my ears, my eyes. I can't believe nothing that this is true, but it is true. They've won nine out of 10. I think they might have actually won 11 out of 12 if you count all of them. They're on another three-game win streak. They beat Memphis tonight 2-0 and to start the road trip. They got four more to go there. I can't believe it. 28-6-6 and for Julius Randle again. Great game by Derrick Rose. It's just, it's flabbergasting at this point. And I'm not getting my hopes too high in the sense of a guaranteed first round victory, but I am getting my hopes to the point of they better take a first round series. If they're not winning in five, they better take that shit seven games because they've proven to this point, they're going to grind. They're going to make it incredibly hard on you. And when Julius Randle's right, they have an awesome chance to win. It's, it's great. It's great. It's great for the Knicks. I can't believe it. Mike, last words. Yeah, I mean, real quick, uh, Knicks, unreal, unreal, completely overachieving, like nobody saw this coming at all. Um, And they beat a good Memphis team tonight, like not a great Memphis team, but a good enough team to be in the playoff picture in the Western Conference. Um, So that's a huge win. First two wins on their West Coast road trip. Um, The games are going to continue to get tougher as they go on. But I really, 
have never been so excited to watch this team play. And I count, I, you can't count them out in any game. I mean, their one loss in their past, whatever we said, 10, 11, 12 games, has been to the Phoenix Suns, who are, if not currently, are right there for the top spot in the West. Um, so they've been playing some great basketball. Love watching them play. But my last words, um, New York Rangers season officially came to an end tonight. Um, they've been eliminated from the playoffs with a loss. Yeah. Um, definitely want to shout them out because they overachieved this season, in my opinion. Um, young group um, with stars, of course, Panarin's Benajad, but overall the youngest team in hockey. Um, and I'm really, really excited with what I saw and what we have coming up. Uh, unfortunately, in any other division, they're a playoff team. Um, but the way it worked out, it just didn't happen for them this season. But They've been playing some great hockey. I love what I've seen. The young guys are going to continue to develop. Um, and the more that they play together, um, the more they're going to click and the chemistry is going to come. And they they are going to be a scary team in the NHL within the next, I, I want to say three, but three to five seasons. Like, I'm really hoping. I'm really, really hoping. But I'm excited. Great season for them. Some other some other hockey talk on the podcast. I'm, oh, man. I was, <laughs> I was on an island. I've been on an island <laughs> for, so, for so long. <laughs> and I'm happy. I'm happy someone else brought it up. I guess for my last stuff, uh, I'll bring up a, a couple of things here. Nick Solak, uh, former Yankees prospect, uh, for uh, got traded. Um, I think it was for for Brandon Drury and an awful trade um, by Brian Cashman has been absolutely raking the ball for uh, the Texas Rangers. Seven home runs, batting two ninety. 370 on base percentage, slugging 540, OPS plus of 149, um, 15 RBIs, 19 runs scored. Uh, playing a great second base, you play the outfield, you can play uh, first base, second base, outfield. A real great utility guy, uh, fun guy to watch. Um, unfortunately, the Yankees uh, let him go. Um, and then a fun little uh, tidbit here. So for the AL West, um, this, this happened uh, uh, last week, but still actually in effect. Um, the Oakland A's are in first place, Seattle Mariners, Houston Astros, LA Angels, and Texas. And if you spell out um, their logos together, it spells asshat. It's the first time that's ever happened in uh, the history of Major League Baseball. You have asshat that's amazing. in the AOS. I'm looking at that asshat right now. That's crazy. It's asshat. Yeah, it's spell out the logos. And also, uh, just a little shout out to uh, my son, Jack. He turns two. On uh, May 11th. Hell and, yeah. Uh, happy birthday, Jack. Shout out to Jack. Yeah. Happy birthday, Jack. Happy birthday, Jack. That's Daddy freaking, loves you. That's freaking awesome. Does he listen to the podcast? Do you make him listen to it? Yeah, no. He's, <laughs> his attention spans very little. Yeah. He likes Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and he likes baseball. It's the uh, only, only two things he'll sit down for. There you go. Um, all right. Well, that's great stuff out of you guys. As always, shout out to Alec. I'm sure he'll be back soon to talk baseball. I'm sure he's itching to talk Knicks, and I'm sure he has a wild giants take as well. So I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll have an Alec Argento sighting soon. Not that anyone missed him particularly, but in case you did, he'll be back soon. We also have guests coming on recording Wednesday night. So you'll hear it on Thursday on iTunes, on Spotify Two basketball writers, hardwood Knox podcast. If you like our basketball talk, go check out the hardwood Knox, get to know them before they come on here or, or wait, and I'll prove it to you when I'm when I have them on. They're awesome. They're smart. They watch hoops more than the rest of the people you're seeing out there, and they bring the heat. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, but for Andrew Kalanya, for Mike Bonfield, my name is Pete Kennedy. This has been Subway Sports Talk, y'all. Thanks for listening. Cheers.
See ya.